Hello, Monetization Nation. Would you like to use your marketing team and resources more effectively? That's what this episode is all about. Welcome back to another episode with Andrea Freyrear, one of the leading agile marketing experts and the author of Mastering Marketing Agility. In the last episode, we discussed three core principles of agile marketing. In today's episode, we'll discuss five steps to implement agile marketing more effectively. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan William, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. Talk to us about what are strategy groups and how do we effectively run them? Yeah, um, so strategy groups are something that I introduced as an idea in the book based on the work that we've done with our clients at Agile Sherpas. So a lot of Agile takes place at the team level, right? We have a team stand up, the team has a backlog, the team has a board, and there's practices and, and approaches to help the team deal with its work. But in marketing, everybody's really interconnected. So whether you move to cross-functional teams or not, the teams rely heavily on one another to complete any kind of, of complex campaign or initiative. So what was happening is team A is over here doing their thing and team B is over here doing their thing. And when they try to put those things together, they didn't fit, right? Or they didn't match up in the right way. And so the strategy group is made up of the leaders of those two teams. And it can be two, it can be five, however big your organization is. And they get together to make sure the teams are moving together in the same direction and are going to get to the destination at the same time together. So they meet several times a week, um, can be as many as five, right? Every day in their own stand-up meeting, just like a team would to make sure that the teams they lead are aligned and consistent. Um, and it can be the leaders of the execution teams. You can also bring in additional stakeholders. So we have clients who will bring in representation from their business units or from sales to hear what's going on with the marketing teams and make sure that they are ready to use what's being created by the marketing teams as soon as it's ready to go. Um, so it's not necessarily like a solutioning or a feedback meeting. It's more of like, are there any issues that everybody needs to be aware of uh, are we about to do something that's going to derail everything you guys are working on? It's an alignment meeting um, that really helps a larger size marketing organization use Agile better. Right. You mentioned execution teams. Can you help us understand what those are and how do we effectively run an execution team? Yeah. So the execution team are like the people in the trenches. They're doing the work. They are responsible for delivering the concrete stuff that makes up a marketing campaign, right? So they're making emails and blog posts and landing pages and social posts and all the things. Um, they are ideally brought together with an important key purpose, right? They, they need a reason to work together. They're not just this hodgepodge collection of marketing folks, right? So we often advise people to set up their marketing teams based on a stage of a funnel, for instance, right? So we have top of the funnel demand generation, we have some conversion level people, and then maybe we have retention or customer delight and, and referral things. 
And each of those teams then has that reason that drives all their activity. They have KPIs, uh, measurement systems put in place to make sure they're doing a good job. And they work together every single day. All their stuff is like we've been talking about visualized so they can see it. And they're a unit, right? A real team that's driving towards these goals. And ideally they have everything they need contained in their execution team to get work done so that they're not dependent on a bunch of other groups. And then they are the people that are staying together and working on these high level goals. So that's the, that's the execution team in a nutshell. And, and the way you put them together tends to vary a lot depending on the type of work being done. The important thing is they are discrete. Like I'm either on the team or not, and they have a core reason to work together. And would people belong to multiple execution teams? Ideally not, right? So you're either in or you're out. And you're, if you're in, you're 100% in. Because it becomes really challenging to allocate people's time across multiple teams, right? It, That's the key point. It goes yeah. back to that scripture, no man can serve two masters, right? It's yeah. hard. The, the whole point of these teams is to prioritize people's time and energy on the most important things. But when they're being doubly or triply prioritized, it, it kind of destroys the whole focus. The whole yeah, that's absolutely right. And that's what makes it hard, you know, because especially in marketing, we're so project centric, right? And so people sit on multiple projects, but then like you were saying, how do I know which thing is the most important? If I'm on five high priority projects, which thing should I work on right now? You just end up getting pulled in a million different directions. Yeah, it doesn't work. Okay. Talk to me about what are the keys or the secrets to high performing execution teams? Yeah. So that persistence, right? Getting them together and keeping them together. Um, there's been studies done on teams and what makes them work and how long they need to be together. And the kind of accepted time frame is people need to work together consistently for six months before they can develop these norms and comfort levels. And so give them that space, right? Give them that time to come together and, and don't break them up after three weeks. That's, that's not a team in my opinion. That's like a working group maybe. But um, so giving them that time together and then thinking back to the values that we were discussing, we always try to have teams write a charter or a working agreement. So we can say, this is how we're going to be as a team. This is how we're going to behave as a team. And we all commit to having the courage to calling one another out if we're not living up to that. Right. And so you create this psychological safety, like it's okay to speak up. It's okay to have crazy ideas. It's okay to speak your mind in a kind and considerate way. And those things, they, they sound really kind of, I, I don't know, easy or, or high level. Right. But if you get those foundational pieces, right, then it almost doesn't matter what the team is doing, right. What the work is or what columns they have on their Kanban board or what software they're using. Right. But if you get the basics right, then they can become something amazing that you would have never anticipated. Yeah, definitely. How do you design a perfect agile environment? I know mm. none of us work in perfect worlds, but <laughs> what, what is the ideal? Yeah, it's an interesting question now. Like when I wrote the book, uh, was obviously pre-COVID. And so um, I spent a little bit of time discussing the in-person versus distributed team Agile has always placed a high value on 
face-to-face actual, you know, in the same room types of interactions. And I do still think that there's value and power in that kind of interaction. But I also think we have to be realistic that many of us are not getting that again um, soon, if ever. And so if we back it up and though think about like why was face-to-face so important and what did we get out of that and can we get that in another way, then we can start to build something that's just as impactful as, as we were having in those, in those times. And so early on, I think it's about overdoing it in terms of making sure people can connect, right? So get back into a daily standup. If, if you were doing it three times a week, it's got to be every single day. And I know people who would schedule kind of chit chat time, right? In the early days of lockdown, like Andrea and Nathan are going to get together and have coffee, right? At 9.30 on Tuesday. And it's just 30 minutes and we have no agenda. We're just going to chat. And you have to set those times aside. Otherwise, right? We sit down at our desks and work all day long and didn't really communicate with our teammates anymore. So I guess this is a long way to say, figure out what the connection points need to be and make sure that they are sacrosanct. They cannot be broken. And we always do these things to keep ourselves connected and, and virtual or not, right? The visualized workflow is key. So we have that source of truth where all our work lives and we can all get it, trust it and use it to do work, whether we are face-to-face or not. Yeah. Yeah. Those patterns are really important. Uh, Let's go bigger picture. Let's talk for a little bit about phase one, the annual plan, and then maybe phase two, the quarterly plan. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've talked about kind of the execution team and they're the folks getting their hands dirty and doing the work, but it's super important for them to, know what the bigger goals and objectives are. And so that has to be still be established at an annual planning type level. Uh, The analogy that I use all the time is you're taking a cross country road trip. You have to know where you're going, right? If you don't know that you're trying to get to New York city and you take off from LA, just kind of driving haphazardly in, in some sort of direction, and then you drive for three days and all of a sudden somebody tells you, Oh, Oh no, we're going to Florida right? Then you're in big trouble because now you've got to redirect and there's a lot of wasted motion there. And that's what the annual plan is meant to do. It's meant to say, we are trying to get from LA to New York. That's our big goal for the year. And then quarterly planning is saying, all right, to do that after three, after not three months, shouldn't take you that long. After a quarter of our travel time, we should be around this point, right? Here's like stopping point one, stopping point two, stopping point three, and there's the end. And so the quarterly plans are meant to do chunk that up, right? And then we atomize it further from there. So now I've got my quarterly plans and objectives, which I can hand over to my execution teams who will then say, great, the way we're gonna contribute to getting to that destination is one, two, three, four, these go into our backlogs and we will go work on them, right? And the other team is four, five, six, seven. Okay, great, we're gonna go put that over here. But we all start from this shared vision, which makes sure that we are driving in the same direction and not having to make these like swerves that actually delay our arrival at where we want to be. Love it. What is the process for for a highly functioning 
um, agile marketing team? How does work get done? Yeah, I mean, this is something that a lot of our clients really struggle with because they're in meetings like six, seven, eight hours a day and people, you start telling them, well, you need to go to daily standup every day and you need to have a retrospective every two weeks. They're like, there is no way, right? There's literally no spot on the calendar for those things and work isn't getting done. People are, are working late and working on the weekends and these kinds of things. So for the work to get like really done, you have to delineate the different roles here. So in the book, I talk about a team lead, which is like providing the strategic perspective. They're prioritizing the backlog. They're also taking all the meeting hits for the team, right? They're the ones who are going out to gather requirements from stakeholders. They are going to show and tell the work. They are getting information from the readout of another team. They are the ones who are spending 90 plus percent of their time in meetings with other groups. So no one else on the team has to go, right? And now we're back to trust again, because I have to trust that my team lead will go and do those things and represent our team and my work without me being there. And that they will bring back what I need to know so that I can sit here and actually do stuff, right? And so having that delineation, and it's not a hierarchical thing, right? It's not a, this person necessarily is my boss if they're my team lead, but they are taking on a different kind of work than the individual contributors on the team. And they are needing to provide direction and they're needing to like, make sure everybody's moving together, but they're not a functional manager, right? In the traditional sense where they'd say, Nathan, this is your task for the day. And Andrea, this is your task for the day. People are still having that autonomy to own what they're doing, but we've, we've set aside a big chunk of working time for the team. And we let the team lead do a different kind of work. And they don't do the, the cards from the board, right? They're not responsible for writing emails and, creating landing pages and the things they're responsible for overseeing the team so that the team can get on with doing that work. Yeah. That's important to have some very important to have somebody in that role. Um, what are the best tools um, and, and other ways to visualize this, this process? Yeah, that's a big one. Um, I used to always recommend that people start with sticky notes uh, before you jump into digital tools. That's less viable nowadays. Um, but the reason that I recommended it still holds, and there are ways to, to kind of get that same low fidelity first iteration, um, tools like Miro, M-I-R-O, and then Mural, which is similar, but a different tool. They're very similarly named, let you play around with things just like you would sticky notes on a whiteboard. You know, you can drag and drop and play around with the columns and the, the swim lanes and things. Um, so that you get a sense of what you need the board to do for you first. And then when you realize, you know, I really need to be able to break things down into subtasks, or I really need to be able to attach files and tag my colleagues, or we got to have these horizontal swim lanes, or there's no way this is going to work. Knowing those things then allows you to go shop for the right tool, right? Instead of going directly into the big fancy tool and then it will oftentimes dictate how you set up your work. Um, so I would, I would recommend trying to get the low fidelity version going first, but if you've done that and you're ready to buy something fancier, 
Um, I've been a Trello fangirl from way back and they've just done a big update recently that's made it even cooler. Um, other ones that I see work really well for my clients are uh, monday.com. Um, Asana is actually quite useful and more, I think, maybe traditionally project management focused, but still you can use it for agile quite well. Um, those are some of my favorites right now, um, for visualizing the work. And then of course you often need other tools to like do the things, right. Publish posts and send emails and all of that. But for visualization, those are some good ones. Thank you so much. What advice would you give to an agile marketing team that's trying to improve their success? Be very diligent about your retrospectives. Um, Don't skip them. Make sure somebody is running them and facilitating them well. And then act on what you learn, right? Let everybody talk about their ideas for improving the process and then go do something about it. Don't just talk and take notes and then don't change anything. Like take a card and put it in your backlog and prioritize it so that those ideas and improvements become reality. Otherwise your process will stagnate and, and quickly. So like retrospective every two weeks, at least one action item from every retro and put it into your backlog and do it. One thing we haven't talked about yet, a core element of this whole process is cues. Uh, Can you explain to the audience what cues are and and kind of how we manage them in, in agile marketing? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, So I talk, I call them cues in the book. Like we're going to stand in a queue, like a line. Um, because I wanted to get away from their usual name, which is backlog, right? In Agile, you'll hear people talk about backlogs. And for a lot of the marketers I talk to, that word has a negative connotation. Like I'm gonna put it in the backlog means I'm never gonna look at it again. It's like where work goes to die. So the cue, the the kind of rebranding, so to speak of that is a prioritized to-do list for the team. So it's not just a brain dump of everything. It's very strictly prioritized for the work that's going to deliver outcomes soonest, right? The things that are highest value, highest impact, those go to the top. And then it's very strict. So one, two, three, four, right? We don't have two number one priorities. Priority should never be plural. There's one top priority and that's all. So that we focus our energies on those things. And then when it's done, we move on to the next and so forth down, down the list. But having that prioritized and visualized so everyone can see it, we can talk about it. When somebody brings a new request, right? It doesn't just get started and we just work on it right away because somebody asked us to. We look at it against everything else already in our queue and decide, is this important and valuable? All right, let's put it at the top. Is it good, but like maybe not that great compared to other things we're going to do? Okay, maybe it's like five or six on the list. So you can take the request, prioritize it, and then action it when it's appropriate instead of trying to like say yes to everything and get absolutely nothing done. Okay, talk to us about how remarketing plays a role in agile marketing. Yeah, so um, much in the same way that I sort of rebranded backlogs to be cues, I was trying to come up with a new framework that could incorporate the best bits of the existing agile frameworks and make it really applicable to marketers. So remarketing is the overarching framework that does that. And one of its core tenets is that you don't have to choose between flow and iteration. 
So in, in the agile software community, there's ongoing debates about should you do scrum, which is iterations, right? Continuing recurring sprints, or should you do Kanban, which is more just continuous flow. We're always trying to deliver value. Um, and so my hypothesis argument, whatever we want to call it, is that you don't have to pick, that you can actually move in and out of different ways of working, depending on what's going on with your team. So Kanban tends to be easier to get started with. So jump in, visualize your work on a Kanban board, have some standups, like start getting work done. And then if you hit a moment when it would be useful to enter into a series of sprints, we're planning an event, we have a big campaign that we need to get out the door, whatever it might be, then let's use sprints to focus in on that subset of work. And then once we've reached our goal, launch the campaign, then fine, let's go back into our flow. And so a lot of the things you and I have been talking about, like, execution teams and strategy groups, cues and visualized work are pieces of how remarketing works. And then that idea of moving in and out of flow and iteration is kind of the undercurrent of the whole thing. Love it. And, and just to clarify, that's remarketing with an RI instead of remarketing RE like a right. lot of do with Google ads and such. Okay, uh, what are the perils of pilots and how do we avoid them? Yes. So uh, many, many, many times um, I talk to people who are wanting to start doing Agile and they say, well, we're going to do a pilot project. And so they've identified a thing, a discrete piece of work that they think would be right for Agile for whatever reason. And then what they do is grab the people with the necessary skill sets and put them into that Agile project for a, a mind-bogglingly small amount of time, like 10% of their time will be devoted to the Agile project. And even if it sounds reasonable, like 30% of their time will be devoted to the Agile project. Nothing else changes, right? Uh, if I'm on this Agile pilot, I still have a day job. I still have other projects that I'm responsible for. I have a functional manager who needs me to do stuff but I'm also now expected to go to daily standups and put stuff on a Kanban board and do all this extra stuff. Well, I'm not going to do it, right? It's this weird thing that I don't know about and people just aren't going to do it. And agile wasn't meant to work that way, right? It's it, we talked at the beginning about teams, right? And this, this group of people working together to succeed as a unit, that is the antithesis of on the side of your desk, right? Do this for a little while out of your day. And so piloting in that way, sets you up for failure. It looks like Agile didn't work when really you didn't ever try it properly. So you have to carve out a substantial amount of people's time to focus, right? Get into this Agile mode, embody the values, embrace and live them day in and day out while also going through the practices of putting things on a board and having daily stand up that's where the magic is. And that's where you see the amazing outcomes that we've been talking about, but the 10% agile is never going to give it to you. And that is the worst possible way to pilot. Thank you so much, Andrea, for sharing your stories and knowledge with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, agile marketing is all about collaboration within and amongst teams. We should create and organize execution teams and strategy groups. Number two, we need to be persistent in communication with our teams. Number three, we should leverage agile project management software such as Asana or Monday.com. Number four, we have to be committed to our teams and to achieving our main goals and objectives. 
Number five, we need to determine priorities and have a cue. And finally, number six, we need to make checkpoints to make sure our team stays aligned with our goals. If you enjoy this interview and want to learn more about Andrea, connect with her on LinkedIn or her websites, frierear.com and agilesherpas.com. And we'll include links to all of those sites in the blog post for this episode. Did you like today's episode? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Number one, you can get a free monetization assessment of your business at monetizationnation.com. Number two, you can subscribe to the free monetization e-magazine at monetizationnation.com. Number three, you can subscribe to the Monetization Nation podcast or YouTube channel. And number four, you can follow Monetization Nation on Instagram and Twitter. How do you effectively manage your teams? Please join our private Monetization Nation Facebook group and share your insights with other digital monetizers. Thanks for joining us for this episode. I wish you success as you strive to more effectively leverage your marketing team and resources. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.